sitting in the town garbage dump, suffering in severe pain and surrounded by critics, there's no other way to describe Job's life but a hot, stinking mess. And to make matters worse, even his so-called friends now hurl accusations at him. Welcome to Through the Bible. Today, our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, takes us through Job chapter 9 and 10, where we see Job mount his own defense. But is Job right in his assessment of his condition? Well, stay with us and find out in just a few moments. I'm Steve Schwetz, your host on this five-year journey through God's Amazing Word. I'm glad to have you aboard the Bible bus with us. And while you find your seat and open your copy of God's Word, I want to share a few letters from listeners of our Kabil programs that are heard primarily in Algeria and Morocco. First, we've got an email from a husband and father who writes, We listen to your broadcasts every night on the radio. My wife has finally accepted Jesus in her life. She has now abandoned the prayers of our former religion and all the related dogmas. I am very relieved about this. Now only my eldest son and his wife remain. They are tightly bound to the bondage of Islam, yet they do listen to your programs. Please carry them in your prayers and ask the Lord to take them out of the enemy's hand. Here's another email. This is from a brother who is in close and regular contact with our Kabil language team. Dear friends, thank you for your prayers for us. God is answering. A church is beginning to germinate and expand in our neighborhood. There are already 15 of us who are faithful to Jesus. The majority are new converts. We worship every Friday, which is our day of rest. We listen to your programs and follow by reading the passages in our Bibles. There are certain things that still remain a mystery to us, but we trust in time you will explain it all and God will help us understand. And then our last email comes from a wife who asks us to pray for her husband. I recently became a believer and have received the peace of God the Father. However, please pray for my husband. He is still searching for the truth. He says, if Christ could not save himself from death, how can I believe he could save others? I would be very grateful to you if you gave a clear explanation based on the truth of the Holy Scriptures to convince him. I wait expectantly for a good answer for my husband in the hopes that God's truth will change his heart. May you be blessed by God the Father as you carry out your duties. Well, each weekday, our world prayer team intercedes for God's word as it goes out in more than 200 languages and for those who hear it. And we'd love to have you join our team that's now over 15,000 members strong. So sign up for the blessing at ttb.org forward slash pray. And let's do that now. Heavenly Father, thank you that as your word is taught that it will not return void. We pray that many listeners in Algeria, Morocco, and around the world will discover your grace and mercy and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today. In his name we pray, amen. Here's our study of Job 9 and 10 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now we come in chapters 9 and 10 of the book of Job. We have the answer of Job to Bildad. Bildad, as we saw, had not met the problem of Job at all. Job makes it very clear that they hadn't met his need. In fact, they were not even talking to his problem at all. And Job, at this point, makes it clear he makes no claim to perfection, and he knows that he cannot defend himself before God. But he needs now someone on his side to present his case. And we'll note here that this man has a real heart cry for somebody to be his mediator and his intercessor. In other words, we're going to hear Job's heart cry for Christ in this particular section here. Now, 
as we come here to chapter 9, verse 1, let me read. Job answered and said, I know it is of a truth, but how should man be just with God? In other words, what he's saying to this man is that a lot of the things that you are saying, they're true. But actually, you haven't spoken into my problem here. You haven't met my need at all. In a general way, you've spoken true things, but in other words, I know it's of a truth. But you're not talking to my problem. How am I to be just with God? This man surely needed the gospel, didn't he, at this point? He needed to know how a man could be just with God. And that is his problem. Now, he says here, I want some questions answered. I have some questions. And the very thing is that this man Bildad certainly didn't answer any questions for him at all. So now let's listen to Job. He's speaking now of God. And he says, if he will contend with me, he cannot answer him one of a thousand. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength, who hath hardened himself against him and hath prospered. Now, Job says, I don't pretend if you think that I'm trying to put up a front before God. You are wrong because of the fact I know that I can't contend with him. And he could ask me a question I'd never be able to answer, but I want answers to my questions, and I want him to answer them. Because God is far removed from me, he says, he is one that he removeth mountains, and they know not, which overturneth them in his anger. He shaketh the earth out of her place, and the pillars thereof tremble. He commandeth the sun, and it riseth not. And he sealeth up the stars, which alone spreadeth out the heavens and treadeth upon the waves of the sea. This is, may I say, a tremendous picture of God here as a creator. Now, Job knew him as a creator, but Job knows nothing about his tender mercy at this time at all. And he gives this picture here, which maketh Arcturus, Orion, and Pleiades, and the chambers of the south, which doeth great things past finding out, yea, and wonders without number. Apparently, Job did know something about the stars. But you can see that this man, though he knew something about the stars, he's not attempting to say that he's in the situation he's in because he was born under a certain star. That's without doubt one of the most foolish things and even Shakespeare could answer that. You remember that Brutus was talking it over with Mark Antony, and he said to him, he says, it's not in our stars that we are underlings, but it's in ourselves that we are underlings. It's not in our stars. And it's not in our stars that he's in the situation. But he recognized that God was the creator of the stars. And he says, which doeth great things past finding out, yea, and wonders without number. Lo, he goeth by me, and I see him not. He passeth on also, but I perceive him not. The whole point is that God is a spirit, and that you can't see him. 
at all. Job had learned a great lesson, and he knew something about God as creator. But that's about all. He says, if God will not withdraw his anger, the proud helpers do stoop under him. How much less shall I answer him and choose out my words to reason with him? Job says, I wouldn't stand a chance coming in his presence. I wouldn't know what to say. And he says, if I had called and he'd answered me, yet would I not believe that he had hearkened unto my voice? Job says, I wouldn't know what to say if he did speak to me. For he breaketh me with a tempest and multiplieth my wounds without cause. He will not suffer me to take my breath, but filleth me with bitterness. Now, if I speak of strength, lo, he's strong. And if of judgment, who shall set me a time to plead? He's saying here, how in the world will I plead my case before him? Now, verse 20, if I justify myself, mine own mouth shall condemn me. If I say I am perfect, it shall also prove me perverse. In other words, Job says, if I try to pretend I'm perfect, why, my mouth will condemn me. But we're going to find that Job had a high estimation of himself. We'll come to that later. Believe me, he did have a high estimation of himself. He is not the man who said, I know that within me, that is within my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. He's not saying he's perfect, but he's contending that he's a pretty good man. In fact, a righteous man, by the way. But he says, I recognize that if I came before God, I wouldn't be able to defend myself. Now, that is the position that a great many men are in today that do not know the Word of God at all. They feel like they'll be able to stand before God and that they will be able to meet his standard and that they are actually today well-pleasing to him. I remember an oil man in Nashville, Tennessee. We used to play volleyball there. I did three nights a week with a group of businessmen. He was one of the businessmen. And this man was a godless man, although he was a church member. I've never met anyone more godless than he was. And he one night started an argument with me before everyone that was present there. That is, when we were in the locker room, he and I were always on opposite sides. And very candidly, he didn't like for me to beat him. And so that night he had had a real shellacking. He'd been really been beaten. So he began to argue with me. And he said to me, I heard that you speak, and I had a morning devotion on radio way back in those days, and he said to me, says, I heard you speaking on that. And he says, you've got a religion whereby you talk about men are sinners, and they have to come to Christ to be saved. He said, I don't believe that stuff. He says, I believe in helping people, and that's my religion today. Now, he says, in my business, he said, I give men jobs. I pay them money so they can buy beans and put beans on their table. And he says, I think that's better than what you've got to offer. Well, how do you answer a man like that before a group of men, and some of them church members to be sure, but most of them godless men and unsaved men? Well, it was very difficult to answer until in about a year's time, one night we were all in the locker room and that man was not there. The reason he was not there, he was in jail. They had arrested him for the way he'd been conducting his business. He had defrauded 
not only the government, but his own employees. And I never shall forget another godless man there. He says, calling him by his name. He says, well, I don't think he'd have much of a chance before God. He didn't do so well before the judge so-and-so over here the other day. And they found out he really wasn't putting beans on the plates of his employees. He was really taking beans off of the plate. That really shook those men. And very candidly, I saw several of them in church services. I had the privilege of leading one out of the crowd to the Lord after that. But the interesting thing is, you see what a misconception they have of God, that somehow or another they're going to be able to please him. Now, actually, Job felt that he would be able to stand before God, but he didn't know how he would defend himself. But now he gives really a heart cry for Christ. And I drop down now to verse 32 here. He says, For he is not a man as I am, that I should answer him, and we should come together in judgment. Now, what he's saying is this. He'd already said, If I justify myself, mine own mouth shall condemn me. In other words, when I come in God's presence, he's going to think of something that I'm not thinking of right now. And I don't think I'll be able to answer him. Now, if he was a man, I could talk to him. And that's the reason God became a man, friends, so you could talk to him. So that you and I would understand God. And he'd be able to communicate to us and show to us that we don't meet God's standard. The only man who ever met God's standard was Jesus Christ. And none of us can come up to his standard at all. That's the curse of these plays and the books that have been written in recent years. Liberalism has had it for years that Jesus was just a man. And they insinuate today that he was a sinner. And the only place they find the sin, it's not in the Word of God. They find it in their own evil, dirty hearts because Jesus Christ was without sin. You see, but he was a man. And I can go to him because he died for me on the cross, and he shows me by his life I can't meet God's standards, and I need a Savior, and by his death he saves me. And that's what Job is saying, for he is not a man as I am, that I should answer him, and we should come together in judgment. Job is saying, I wouldn't stand a chance. He's God, and I'm man. But now he's man, friends. Now he says, neither is there any daysman betwixt us. There's no mediator between us, somebody that might lay his hand upon us both. Job says if there was only someone that could take his hand and put it in the hand of God, and there was someone that could put his hand in my hand and bring us together, and if he could do that, then I'd have a mediator. And the Word of God says, Paul said to a young preacher, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Now, that song that says, put your hand in the hand of the man of Galilee is only half true. You must remember that the man of Galilee has another hand, and that hand is in the hand of God, because that is the hand of God, my friend. He is the God-man. What a glorious, wonderful plea this is of this man here. Now he continues on here in chapter 10. Very frankly, what he's saying is just simply this. Let me read verse 1 of chapter 10. My soul is weary of my life. 
I will leave my complaint upon myself. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. Now, Job says, in the meantime, since I don't have a mediator, since there's no man to represent me before God, he says, I'm just right here in this life. I just speak in the bitterness of my soul. I'm weary of life. I'm going to tell you exactly how I feel. I'm not hiding it at all. And he's saying to these men, you must understand, he's already said it before to Eliphaz, that a man's in the condition I'm in doesn't put on. I'm not playing the hypocrite now when I tell you my sad plight, my condition. Listen to him here now, verse 2. I will say unto God, do not condemn me. Show me wherefore thou contendest with me. Well, God's going to answer him on that before he's through, by the way. God's going to show him. And this man's going to find out something about himself and something that all of us need to find out about ourselves. Verse 3, Is it good unto thee that thou shouldst oppress, that thou shouldst despise the work of thine hands and shine upon the counsel of the wicked? In other words, Job says, I can't understand why I have to suffer so, and there are wicked men that are not suffering. And by the way, that's the problem that confronted David. That's a problem that's confronted me. I have wondered sometimes as a pastor, why does God let certain men, wonderful godly men, because I've known them, and he's permitted them to suffer. And there have been other godless men, even men in the church, that get by actually with sin. They do for a time at least. But I notice, after all, it catches up with them. I have observed that if you give God time, he'll deal with them. But it's something that causes you to ask questions, you see. Now, this book faces up to life. It's right down where the rubber meets the road. In fact, in the book of Job, you get right down to the nitty-gritty, my friends. Now, he begins to bewail his condition and recognize his sad plight. And he looks like he's been neglected of God. He says in verse 4, Hast thou eyes of flesh, or seest thou as a man see it? And his whole point is, I believe God just doesn't see me in my real condition. You see, that's another reason that Christ became a man down here. God became a man. Why? So I know there's a man today in the glory that knows me. He knows how I feel. There's not a pulsation that ever entered the human breast that Jesus Christ did not feel when he was here on this earth. So he knows how I feel, knows how you feel. And then he goes on here, Job, in verse 5, Are thy days as the days of man? Are thy years as man's days, that thou inquirest after mine iniquity and searchest after my sin? Job is beginning now to defend himself. He's going over on the defense, and he's not willing to admit that there's great sin in his life. And there was but not what we would label great sin. Listen to him now. Thou knowest that I'm not wicked, and there's none that can deliver out of thine hand. And Job says, I find myself in a pretty awkward situation. God knows I'm not wicked, and I can't get out of his hand. I'm going through all of this. Why should I go through all of this? Well, here's a man that needed a little humility, and God's going to give him a little humility. And have you ever noticed that 
humbleness and patience. There's something that he just doesn't hand out to you on a silver platter with a silver spoon there for you to lap it up. You don't become humble that way. It is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, patience and humility both. But the only way is by experience in this life that you and I can become patient and become humble. And God's going to do both of these things for this man, Job. Now, I know that you're going to hear a little bit later over here about the patience of Job. You remember James says, you've heard of the patience of Job. He also says, you've seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord's very pitiful and of tender mercy. Now, may I say this, had it just simply been a question of Job's patience, that would have been just something for his self-confidence and his conceit. But the point is this, that actually Job wasn't patient. That broke down, by the way. And he's crying out to God. His patience didn't last. But when you see the end of the Lord, then, my friend, you begin to see God was making him patient. And God was giving him humility. And God does that, you see. Now, this man here says this, and I'm going to have to drop down now to verse 19. He says, I should have been as though I had not been. I should have been carried from the womb to the grave. Now he's back at the thing that he started out with. And he, by the way, will stay in this position part of the way through this book. During this testing, to him, death is something to be desired. And to him, death would put him out of his misery. It would get him away from this scene. And he just welcomes it as a sleep, as something that would just put him in a place of unconsciousness. And if you think you can draw something from this book to sustain soul sleep, you're entirely wrong. Because you're going to find out before he gets through, and I'm running ahead to say this, Job is going to say this, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that in my flesh I shall see God. My friend, this book doesn't teach soul sleep at all. But here is a man that's wishing that that would happen to him. I wish he said I hadn't been born. And that's something that you can wish. Job not only did that, but actually Elijah wished that, and Jonah wished that, but it won't do you a bit of good. Do you know if you wish you hadn't been born, it won't undo it at all. You've been born. <laughs> that's really a waste of time. And, by the way, wishing that you were dead won't help either, because no one ever died by wishing they were dead. And I always suspect that, 99 out of 100 of us, when we wish we were dead, we don't really mean it. We're just talking. And I'm of the opinion that when Job is faced to it here, he really didn't mean he wish he was dead. But right now, he's pouring out his soul. And there is a breaking down of the dignity of this man. God's going to have to get at a pretty hard heart here. And do you know a lot of the saints have proud, hard hearts today? And sometimes God has to deal with us like that. But we're going to have to stop there today. And next time, we're going to be introduced to the last of these so-called three friends of Job. And he's the worst one of the lot, Zophar. May the Lord richly bless you, my beloved.
Don't you love Dr. McGee's honesty? Even in our humanness, it's good news that unlike Job, we have a mediator in Jesus Christ. You know, you can learn more about Jesus and how he stands in the gap between God and us and connects us together at ttb.org by clicking on How Can I Know God? There you'll find several free resources to listen to and read about what it means to have a relationship with God. Again, that's ttb.org and click on How Can I Know God? Or call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE if you'd like us to drop a packet in the mail to you. And if you're already a child of God, but maybe you're feeling discouraged and struggling to move ahead, you might find helpful a couple of free digital booklets by Dr. McGee. Check out Job, A Man Stripped Bear, and Why Do God's Children Suffer? In these brief digital booklets, you'll find real comfort that can only come from the Word of God. Again, to download your free copies, visit ttb.org forward slash booklets or call 1-800-65-BIBLE if we can help you find them. Well, we've heard from Eliphaz. We've heard from Bildad. Next time, we'll hear from Job's third friend, the one Dr. McGee calls the worst. His name is Zophar. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'll meet you back here next time for another great study in God's Word. Today's study with Dr. J. Vernon McGee is brought to you by Through the Bible, and it's made possible by the generous prayer and financial investments from listeners like you on the Bible bus all around the world.